0: Here we go on a Friday. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day as we wrap up what has been a very busy week. We know it's also a busy harvest time. We're going to talk weather with Dennis Toddy, who is director of the USDA Midwest Climate Hub, see what he sees in store for this harvest season as far as weather is concerned and beyond. And we'll keep a close watch uh, on uh, developing Weather systems like La Nina and what that could mean longer term. We're going to talk markets today. Been very interesting markets here going into harvest and uh, keeping an eye on sales to China as well. Arlen Suterman, Chief Commodities Economist for Stone X, will be joining us. And we'll also talk today with the now outgoing president of the National Corn Growers Association, Kevin Ross. We're going to talk about uh, some important legislation that's been introduced that could be very beneficial to the ethanol industry. And we'll also talk about his year as president of NCGA and get a harvest update out of Iowa as well. All that coming up on today's program. But first, over 160 farm, food, and agriculture organizations have sent a letter to the White House Coronavirus Task Force calling for the federal government to take additional steps and devote new resources to help farmers, ranchers, and growers protect their employees from the coronavirus. Here to talk about that is Chuck Connor, President of the National Council of Farmer Cooperatives. Chuck, thank you very much for joining us. Tell us about uh, why you have joined into this group to make this request. What do you see as the need to further protect farm workers?
2: Well, Mike, thanks for having me on today. And let me just say, you know, we see the need out there being driven by the fact that, you know, in agriculture, whether it's on the farm, whether it's in a co-op, whether it's in the processing, we we want our workplace to be absolutely not only the best jobs in, in these rural areas and in these towns, but certainly the safest jobs as well. And we were so thankful to be, you know, considered uh, an essential part of the workforce and therefore not subject to a lot of the uh, closures and stay-at-home requirements that went out. And because of that, we've been able to have, you know, what what you would almost call a somewhat normal year, and and those words are rarely used associated with 2020. So going forward, we just want to make sure we we know that – Um, bringing folks together, working, uh, whether it's uh, in the packing plants, whether it's the fertilizer plants, whatever, that that has afforded the opportunity to to, to expose folks to one another and maybe not have the the perfect social distancing type climate, which was necessary in order to produce food. We're looking for some help, some guidance, some assistance to make sure going forward that we we learn from this process and, and that we do all that we can to make sure that the production of food in this country going forward is not an environment whereby you have a higher risk of attracting uh, COVID-19 or whatever may come after that.
0: So what are some of your specific recommendations to the task force?
2: Well, certainly testing is a big uh, uh, part of that and, and, and number, you know, number one priority uh, for us. is we, we need rapid test results. If an employee is not feeling well, uh, you know, we we need to know is is that because of COVID 19 or or something else? And right now we don't have those kind of capabilities. The only thing you know you can do is sort of send them home and uh, uh, and, and hope you know that they get to feel feeling better because we don't have the rapid uh, uh, tests available in these rural areas. We need access to that in order to do that. You know, we believe federal. Help is needed, uh, particularly working with the communities to make sure that we've got the structure in place for uh, rapid testing for our employees. The other part that's important is just the personal protective equipment. Uh, you know, when you're on a farm out there, when you're running a small packing plan as a farmer, whatever the case may be, um, you know, th- this equipment is expensive. And you know, on top of already very, very tight margins, you know, to impose these kind of requirements, we're asking the federal government to consider not only getting the protective equipment that is needed out there, but you know, provide financial incentives so that producers can have the latest and best equipment available for those workers to keep uh, uh, any chance of the spread of the virus from occurring.
0: So you've sent this letter. Has there been any response to it as of yet?
2: There hasn't, but we, you know, we expect a pretty favorable response, Like We've got 160 agricultural organizations. Uh, That's a lot. Uh, There probably could have been more, you know, as well. Uh, uh, Sign on to this because this is just something that is true across all of agriculture where we do want the best and safest workplace. We've got a lot of support out there within the ag uh, world. Uh, No one, you know, would say that the farmers uh, shouldn't have access to the you know, through the rapid testing to the best equipment, those sorts of things. So I, we we expect a favorable response.
0: So the testing, obviously, you've pe- you've pointed to uh, lack of that uh, testing available in parts of rural America. Are there other areas where you're seeing that there are shortcomings in protection, or are, is this more just a preventive a measure to make sure there aren't uh, problems developing out there with with the uh, with protection.
2: Well, certainly, Mike. There has been a lot of press in the last month that has been critical of the of farmers and and the, you know our our food production system for its contribution to COVID nineteen in some of these rural areas. Um, you know the the rates have been higher than uh, what certainly what we would like to see, and higher than what would be considered. Um, sort of the, the national average uh, acceptable level and uh, you know we w- we want to do all that we can to make sure that uh, the plant itself is not you know not a, a source of that problem where the workers may be working where the, the farm may not be the problem one of the additional things we have called for is help from the federal government just in terms of housing because we know that mm-hmm. the spread of this virus is not always you know occurring in the plant it may be occurring back uh, back home, uh, you know, given uh, the lack of social distancing, given the, uh, given the the living environments that the workers may be living in. And so we've also asked for them uh, to work with the local communities in providing better options for uh, housing uh, in those circumstances that would uh, promote the kind of social distancing to protect those workers from uh, the, the very virus that uh, we're certainly not wanting them to bring into the plants themselves.
0: Yeah, it's going to take a... Uh... A lot of people a lot, uh, working together to, to make this happen.
2: Yes, indeed. I mean, this, this is obviously a, uh, a, a national uh, problem, and uh, it, it's going to require a lot of coordination. But, you know, at the end of the day, Mike, we are talking about the very food that is feeding people. And, you know, one of the high points of 2020, uh, Mike, has been the fact that with everything that is going on, you know, people, for the most part, and except the most extenuating circumstances, have not been hungry. They, you know, they've continued to to feed themselves and uh, and uh, um, you know have the, the, the comfort and stability of that. And that that's a remarkable thing in the midst of this kind of crisis.
0: And if, All it's right, something Chuck.
2: we're not only thankful for, but uh, you know appreciate the American farmers.
0: Indeed. Thanks, Chuck. Appreciate the time. Take care, Mike. You too, Chuck Connor, President, National Council Farmer Cooperatives. Up next, we talk harvest weather patterns. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. <music> Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Sinex Premium Diesel. Sinex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around.
3: Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute.
2: Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute.
4: Hey honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them, we're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving.
0: A public service announcement brought to you by
4: AARP and the Ed
0: Council. Recently on Atoms on Agriculture, we finally have confirmation of the decision to deny those gap year waivers to the renewable fuels standard. Joining us now is Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Your thoughts.
5: Announcement from EPA that they are. Rejecting these gap year small refinery exemption petitions is, is great news for the industry. It's a big step forward. And the best part about it is it, it's official. It's a final action. We don't have to wait for EPA to do anything else. You know, it's not a, a commitment or a promise that something may happen. It it happened. It, the memo that came out from EPA yesterday, we believe, should put the nail in the coffin for these gap year waivers and, and hopefully put that big mess uh, that EPA created for itself behind us and, and we can get back to implementing the RFS and, and you know honoring the congressional intent with this program.
0: For the information important to Rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture.
6: Sometimes
0: life is
6: wonderful and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. and health insurance is your financial safety net if you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is 35,000 or more give us a call at 800-664-2612 that's 800-664-2612
0: 800-664-2612 Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape.
1: Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams.
0: Let's talk harvest weather with Dennis Toddy, director of the USDA Midwest Climate Hub. All right, Dennis, usually at harvest time we talk about windows of opportunity to get harvest done, and sometimes those are relatively short windows. But for much of the Midwest, so far, this has been a large picture window, wide open, and uh, it looks like it may stay open for a while. We're talking Grand Canyons here. Uh, (laughs) You're really right. Uh,
4: We've not had very much rainfall recently. A few areas up in uh, Minnesota, Wisconsin, a little bit of Illinois, uh, you know, it had maybe inch, maybe two, so that'll slow them down a little bit. But the wide-ranging part of, of the Corn Belt and, and Northern Plains really has had plenty of time to move ahead, which is, is not a bad thing, especially in some areas like Iowa where you have a lot of bound corn that they're having a slow going with. So um, you're really right. We're not talking when those Lots of wide-open spaces we're working with here.
0: <laughs> so you see this continuing for a while?
4: It, it really does, um, you know. As we get into, um, there are a few spots of, of rain chances, uh, kind of in different parts of the Midwest and Northern Plains uh, and Plains going into the you know the early part of next week. Uh, you know, it part and especially if you look at some of the the model output, there's an area from Missouri up to say Michigan, parts of the Eastern Corn Belt that might get between a half inch of an inch at this point, that's not going to slow things down too much because soils are, are aren't, aren't too wet at this point. You know, like you said, some other years a half inch an inch would really slow things down. Not this year, um, but otherwise, you know, the the Western Corn Belt and Plains, uh, there's really not much chance for precipitation coming up. So, uh, people will be able to to you know take advantage and, and move ahead very quickly. Uh, crops are are, are close, you know, especially further west are, are are very close to being ready, if not ready already. Eastern areas are a little slower, so I have to sit a bit longer. But uh, uh, comments I'm hearing from people is is crops are you know drying down quite quickly in this situation, so um, in some places having to move a little faster than they're ready to, just because things are drying out so quickly. I'm
0: talking with Dennis Toddy, director of the USDA Midwest Climate Hub. All right. Give us a La Nina report. Is it strengthening?
4: Yes, it is. It really is. And I just saw some numbers yesterday that actually strengthened fairly quickly, um, much quicker than we would expect it to. So uh, the chances probably are increasing uh, that that we're going to get into La Nina territory as we go into um, the the latter part of fall early winter looks like we'll probably reach that that category uh, and that with that quick strengthening indicates you know it might go we, we talk about strengths of La Nina and the or strengths of El Nino and La Nina and the stronger it is the the more likely certain things are so um, the as, as we see that strengthening it, we have a better chance of it being reaching moderate category usually we talk about them weak moderate and strong and uh so that would improve our chances in the winter of of, uh you know maybe falling more towards the cold side there's still you know there's still a lot to be determined on that and again, we talked about last time maybe a bit more active pattern possibly coming up not in the fall but the latter part of fall and winter is where that would shift over
0: yeah I, i always get these mixed up the la ninas and el ninos so uh So we're talking La Nina would mean potentially colder, more active winter starting, what, late fall going into winter. Uh, How long, do we have an idea? Can we tell how long those patterns usually last? Um, The forecast is right now that it
4: hangs on through the winter. So, um, you know, uh, and, and, and the outlooks kind of reflect that too, that the more active pattern stays into uh, December January February you know, maybe March as, as the situation goes uh, right now it does not look like it impacts next summer you know, La Nina's during the summertime sh- do give us a bit more concern because they do um, you know th- th- that does increase our potential for, for droughts in the summertime okay uh, don't get worried about that at this point there's a lot of things that have to happen before then um, the more active pattern might not be a bad thing depending on what our soil recharge situation is looking like um cuz that's been the well the, the dryness has been good for harvest uh places uh, further west in the corn belt and even some of the eastern places too uh need some soil moisture recharge uh, as we go into the fall here um you know, we don't need to refill the profile completely, but we would like to get some more moisture in that profile. So if we were more active in the winter and our fo- soils hadn't frozen yet, that would help refill our soil moisture profile. Um, but that's, you know, we, we are reaching a point where I'm, I'm a little concerned about the, the, the limited amount of soil moisture recharge we've had, say, from Iowa and west. Uh, and the, the 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 chances I see of that, of that changing just yet. So we'll have to keep a, a pretty close eye on that, too.
0: Mm-hmm. How does this also impact other parts of the world, say South America?
4: You, you, okay,
0: thank you. I was going to talk
4: about that. Um, you know, La Nina's do have uh, an ability to cause some dryness in parts of South America. Uh, so I think that's uh, something, since I'm housed in the Midwest and, and we'll focus here, I don't keep an eye on South America quite as much as I, as I used to. But uh, I think that's something worth watching down there is uh, the potential for some dryness with this lamina coming in, especially setting in the way it is, too. All
0: right. So that's certainly something to keep an eye on as they're in the planting season there. And uh, we keep a close watch on, on what's happening in South America. Talking with Dennis Toddy, director of the USDA Midwest Climate Hub. Uh, so we talked about dry weather here through harvest season. What about temperatures? Uh, Thank you. We're going to need to get background on
4: that, too. Uh, We've been talking about likely warmer conditions continuing uh, throughout much of the fall, and, and it still looks like that's going to be the case. But there's been a big ridge of high pressure that has developed out over the West Coast that's been associated with the fires and not necessarily a good thing. And what that's going to do to us, um, middle of next week, well, even starting at the end of the weekend in the middle of next week, there's going to be a big trough develop over the middle part of the country. And that's going to bring some much colder air, um, particularly to the Eastern parts of the corn belt. So Iowa, Iowa will be on the Western edge of it, but the Eastern part of the corn belt, uh, looks like we're going to get some pretty cool temperatures, uh, certainly we're probably going to go below freezing in you know the northern states you know Minnesota Wisconsin Michigan uh, there is a chance that we get some freezing temperatures dipping further south uh, further south into uh, you know maybe down towards the Ohio Valley have to see quite uh, at, at the will see this see how this develops so I would encourage people to um, keep an eye on local forecasts um, freezing up in the northern areas, this would not be this would be around uh, average for them, so it's not too much of an issue. Uh, looking further south, you know, say that Iowa, Illinois, Indiana area, this would be a bit earlier and further south than that it would be quite early for for going below freezing. So uh, most row crops, I think are, are pretty close, so the risk to them is probably relatively small the bigger risk becomes on you know for people's gardens uh people having specialty crops those kinds of things uh, a little bit early for them so uh be ready to to deal with that should temperatures should this this come to pass um it looks like this won't last too long but uh it it, it is pretty sharp cold turn after the very pleasant conditions we've had so far
0: yeah we've had some pretty dramatic swings rather abruptly I, you know,
4: and and you, you are right. We saw one, the one back uh, a, a couple weeks ago. The, the, the especially out in the plains, you know, like a seventy degree temperature swing over over a, a couple days time. Uh, you know, the fall is are those transition seasons where we get a lot of I call them the ro- roller coasters, where we get up and down and up and down. Um, But we have very you know with the very dry conditions that adds to that ability to warm up very quickly and cool off very quickly when you have more humid conditions like in the summertime uh, it's harder to do that sort of thing so uh, at this point uh, it it, it looks like we'll, we'll, we'll bounce down and come back and we expect to continue that situation the colder temperatures probably are not too bad either in some areas because we are dry enough and especially during harvest with crops drying down that people are concerned especially in western areas about some fire potential uh so um watch local forecasts and you know especially if your crops are really dry and conditions are really dry it's always a good idea just to keep an eye on any any kind of hot surfaces or any additional sparks just to make sure it doesn't cause some kind of a uh, some kind of a fire probably wouldn't be widespread but it can be a problem if you're not watching
0: great overview great perspective dennis thanks a lot always appreciate it Happy to
4: do it. You guys take care.
0: Dennis Toddy, director of the USDA Midwest Climate Hub. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Cinex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines.
6: Keeping up on the latest in ag is a challenge to say the least, but there are experts nearby ready to help. You'll find them at your local FS. You can trust them to bring you customized agronomic grain and energy solutions born of the latest thinking. That's because FS specialists receive continuous training that keeps them current on the latest trends, practices, and technologies. So you'll get local expertise that's both exceptional and up to date. Visit FSSystem.com to learn how FS is bringing you what's next.
1: Adams on Agriculture. Conversations with policymakers, the movers and shakers in the ag industry, the pros and cons of issues important to you, cutting through the spin to get to the heart of a topic and giving you the information you need to know. Every weekday, Mike Adams brings you guests important to the ag industry. It's quite simply information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture.
7: Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Corn and soybean futures trying to recover from Thursday's losses. Corn futures trending one to two and a fraction higher. The weather in the corn belt is expected to be supportive for producers in their fields harvesting this weekend. After announcing flash sales of export grains to China most days this month, USDA has now not announced a new sale to China for the second consecutive day instead announcing 100,000 metric tons of soybean meal being sold to unknown destinations soybean futures an hour into the day November up 2 and a quarter at 1002 and a half January, 1005 and a half, up two and a quarter. Soybean meal, a dollar to three dollars ten cents higher per ton. In corn futures, December up two and three quarters at 366 and a half. March up two and a half at 374 and three quarters. Wheat futures, an easier tone on this Friday. Chicago wheat, December down four, an hour into the day at 545 and three quarters. Kansas City, December down six and a quarter, 476 and three quarters. Minneapolis spring wheat December down three and a quarter at five thirty-one and a half. That's a bid. March bid at five forty-four and a quarter, down two and a half. Livestock traders positioning ahead of the cattle on feed numbers coming out later on this afternoon from USDA. We're nickel to 45 cents lower in live cattle futures october down a nickel at 107.97 feeder cattle november down 60 at 141.75 lean hog futures december 40 cents higher at 63.65 the dow down five points you're listening to aoa i'm rusty halverson from the american ag network
0: Well, we always enjoy our weekly conversations with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for Stone X. Arlen, I was just thinking, it wasn't that long ago where a, a sale to China was big news. Now, if we have a day where we don't have a sale to China, that's big news.
5: Yeah, we had 14 trading days in a row with announced sales to China, and the market got kind of used to that. Now we've had two in a row where we haven't. We did have a big soy meal sale this morning um, to other destinations. But uh, uh, China is certainly the key cornerstone of this export market going forward, that's for sure. So
0: what's the feeling, and what are your people telling you? Uh, Are they about done, or we see these sales staying strong for a while?
5: Well, we've argued all along that we felt like China's primary objective was probably to um, purchase enough soybeans to bridge the gap to the South American harvest. They have shown that they are value buyers and will buy wherever it's cheapest. And we know that if Brazil has a good crop, that uh, because of its currency exchange rates, giving it a real advantage, its new crop' harvest will be priced cheaper than will be U.S. soybeans come the first of the year sometime in the January February timeframe depending on when new crop supplies first become available and so we've expected they were just gonna bridge that gap there was also some thought that they may be trying to build up some reserves but they have limited storage near the ports to do that and that's where the crush facilities are so does it make sense to to pay the freight to ship them inland and then back to the ports again to get crushed when that time comes. So those those uh uh storage areas were primarily getting close to full at about 9 million metric tons. They got up to about 7.6 million metric tons. Um, but uh they've bought most of what they need to bridge the gap. They still need to buy a little bit more. We anticipate that they will probably overbuy what they need, and then once they're comfortable with the Brazil crop, they'll go ahead and cancel some of those purchases and shift their origin to Brazil. Um, so with the break in the price, that gave them good incentive to go ahead and uh, halt the, the purchases for a little while and see if the market could come down to them again.
0: Does that mean the bean rally's over?
5: Well, I don't think you can draw that conclusion. Um, I think a lot of people will, and uh, that's certainly the concern of the Bears. It doesn't mean that we're going back to test the highs, but I do think that there are good opportunities for that what the market is doing is it went up parabolically without any significant correction for about a buck 40 in gains that's very unusual to do that so this is a fairly normal correction within that rising market from a technical standpoint you could certainly see prices go higher so then it comes down to the fundamentals we probably do not have proof of fundamentals necessary right now to justify higher prices but it's easy to get there if you continue to reduce production in the United States. Uh, And if you have weather problems in Argentina due to La Nina, both of those are are probably better than 50% odds that we're going to get that. So that's why I think we're seeing uh, traders buy the break this morning and not letting prices go down too far. They were glad to have a break that they could buy. Now we're going to wait and see what those production estimates are. We'll have the first of the private production estimates next Thursday when we release our next uh, uh, customer survey results.
0: I was going to ask you, I mean, we're starting to get some yield results on beans. Uh, If it is a really good crop, what are you thinking we're at stocks-wise?
5: Well, if in fact, you know, our September customer survey was at 52.9 bushel yield, USDA came in at 51.9. Well, that 52.9 bushel yield would have given us ending stocks over 550 million bushels. USDA came in below that 10 days or so later. Um, Now we'll see where we're at on the 1st of October, and I anticipate that it will have come down. We're seeing smaller beans in the pods because of the dry finish to the crop. The question is how much smaller? If you take five percent off the of bean size, you reduce yield by five percent. If you take that yield all the way down to 48, for an example, I've got one in there uh, example of 48.2 bushels. that drops ending stocks down to 240 million bushels. All of a sudden then you're talking about the need to take prices higher to ration demand once you get that low. and that's not considering potential dryness in Argentina. So as, as I've studied the history of the soybean markets, one of the things that I've observed is if once you get into that $11 area, and we got just below that with the previous run, the market doesn't spend much time in the $11 area. It either pulls back and goes back down or shoots right through it into the $12, 13 $14 range. So a lot of it, again, is going to hinge on what is that final crop size, how low do we drop the yield, and then what kind of problems do we have in Argentina this year.
0: Talking with Stonex economist Arlen Suderman. All right, let's focus on the corn market as we start getting harvest results in. What do you see happening there?
5: Uh, With the corn market, we're still looking at ending stocks at around 2.5 billion, so we've got to get that down below 2 billion to start with to justify prices getting up, challenging the $4 area, let alone going higher than that. And to really worry about uh, rationing demand, we need to get closer to 1.5 billion. That means we need to see production come down quite a bit and demand go up quite a bit more than's currently believed. That's a much more difficult road to travel because while you may make an argument that China will buy more than what USDA currently has in its books, uh, you can also make an argument that we could see ethanol demand fall back some more and uh... there's going to be some election risk with this as we go forward uh... one of the factors as you look at the two candidates and ethanol being a major component of demand president trump has said he will not shut down the country again if coronavirus go numbers go up and they are starting to trend higher again or as Joe Biden has said, that he would be open to shutting down the country again. So that would be a significant risk to the ethanol going forward um, here over the coming year. So there is some election risk that the markets are going to be watching in this corn market. That would impact demand and might offset some higher um, Chinese buying if that were to happen.
0: Speaking of Chinese buying again, we're still not seeing any ethanol sales, right? I mean, is there any indication that those could yet be coming?
5: I have long said that I felt like one of the key tests to Chinese China's commitment to the phase one trade agreement would be their purchases of distillers, grains, and ethanol. We have seen periodically where buyers have been inquiring about U.S. distillers, grains, and even ethanol but yet nothing happening. And China hasn't even lifted the anti-dumping tariffs on the distiller's grains either. So to me, that says they're buying what they need. They'll count that toward the phase one agreement, but they're not aggressively going beyond that. And uh, so that's pretty discouraging. That's where they could have the biggest impact, and we just do not see any movement yet on either one of those fronts.
0: Still a long ways off, but looking to next year, what are your thoughts on more bean acres and maybe the need for more bean acres next
5: year? Well, certainly there's a lot, that last 5 to 10% of the acreage that the farmers are going to leave flexible to see how things play out with China over the next 60 to 90 days. But right now I'm looking for similar corn acres next year, but I think if you look at soybeans, we could see um... several million more come in particularly eastern midwest we have some good returns for our soybean wheat double cropping where we could add some more soybean acres and looking for soybeans to go up over eighty seven maybe as high as eighty eight million acres uh, the soybean corn ratio for next year's new crop has come down a little bit to around two point four two this morning I anticipate there's some good opportunities for that to increase again to try to bring in some more bean acres again, particularly if we see this year 's crop shrink some more and Argentina has some problems that'll help pave the way for more bean acres for next year
0: yeah we're watching that weather in in South America. how's it looking right now? Are they dry?
5: Brazil is, Argentina has been very dry, hurting their wheat crop. It's still early there. We typically in La Nina see October bring showers to Argentina, help give them the moisture they need for planting, and then it goes dry again and they have a hot, dry summer, giving them a short soybean and corn crop. Brazil has had the driest month of September to this point in its soybean belt in the last 40 years. Um, If the rains were to start coming here in the next couple of weeks, they could still have a big soybean crop, but that's not unusual for La Nina years, but it can delay the start of their export season, so that's one of the keys we're watching, which could extend our export season with more soybeans going to China. Right now, forecasters have very low confidence in rains coming until maybe the last third of the month of October, which would give them good production if that happens. It's something we've got to watch. We delay the rains beyond that, then you start worrying about production more. Right now, it just looks like a delayed start, a delayed harvest, delayed export season, but a good crop overall for Brazil.
0: Yeah, we just talked with Dennis Toddy, director of the USDA Midwest Climate Hub. He talked about La Nina, you're talking about it, so obviously that's uh, that's going to be something to keep an eye on for here and South America.
5: Absolutely, and in the United States, we worry about the Southern Plains hard red winter wheat belt going dry. Obviously, we have a lot of dryness. Uh, it's one of the driest years of the last 40 in Russia's winter wheat belt. They're starting to run out of time. They've got about two more weeks to get that rain to get the crop established before winter, mm-hmm. and right now the prospects of getting that rain are very slim right now unless the forecasts dramatically change
0: yep so we'll be watching it closely arlen thanks a lot talk to you next week thank you arlen suderman chief commodities economist for stone x up next kevin ross wrapping up his year as president of the national corn growers association stay with us you're listening to a.o.a Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Synex Premium Diesel. Synex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around.
3: Do you know how to keep food safe at home?
8: Clean, separate, cook, and chill.
3: The easy lessons of clean, separate, cook, and chill will help you protect your family and be food safe. Let's talk about how to really cook. First, you can't tell it's done by how it looks. Use a food thermometer. Then, always stir, rotate the dish, and cover food when microwaving to prevent cold spots where bacteria can survive. Fast cooking should still be safe cooking. And bring sauces, soups, and gravies to a rolling boil when reheating. Even for the most experienced cooks, the improper heating and preparation of food means bacteria can survive. Food safety risks at home are more common than most people think. The USDA is your partner in being food safe.
8: Please, separate, cook and chill.
3: For more information, visit BeFoodSafe.gov or call 1-888-MP-Hotline.
9: call 800-955-4538 now for your free author submission kit again for your free author submission kit call 800-955-4538 that's 800-955-4538 your road to fame and fortune could very well start with this simple phone call call page publishing at 800-955-4538 for your free author submission kit young farmers don't listen to the radio right wrong
0: recently on atoms on agriculture we're joined now by kurt Kavarik, vice president federal affairs for the national biodiesel board when you got the confirmation that epa is going to deny those gap year waivers to the renewable fuel standard was it a sigh of relief or a celebration for you
5: mike well i'm i'm going to say it was close to a celebration for us you know we we greatly appreciate and applaud this decision by the epa to uh, put to bed this nonsense and absurdity that small refiners have been using to, you know, undermine the renewable fuel standard and, and business certainty that was supposed to be created by this law. It shouldn't have been this hard. There should not have uh, needed to be this much work by, you know, Senator Ernst and Senator Grassley and Governor Reynolds and others to convince the administration to simply do the right thing. This was a no-brainer, but at the end of the day, I think it is positive news.
0: For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture.
1: I spend a lot of time in the garage, but even more time in the rain, sleet, and mud. In 95, I helped tow your moving trailer. In 05, I helped you get out of a ditch. Yeah, I know I'm a bit rusty, and sadly in 09, it was sparks from me, your handy chains dragging behind your truck that accidentally started a wildfire. Sparks from dragging chains can start a wildfire. Spark a change, not a wildfire. Visit SmokeyBear.com. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council.
6: Only you can prevent
0: wildfires. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape.
1: information america's farmers and ranchers need to know
0: adams on agriculture now back to mike adams kevin ross is wrapping up his year as president of the national corn growers association what a year it has been we'll look back over it in a moment but we're going to start with uh, something happening right here at the end of his uh, presidency, a very significant move, an introduction of what's called the Next Generation Fuels Act. It's introduced by Representative Sherry Bustos from Illinois, and it could indeed uh, be a, quite a boost for the ethanol industry. It would transition us to a higher octane fuel in order to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. Kevin, thanks for joining us Uh what are your thoughts on this uh, this bill? It seemingly would be a, quite a boost to ethanol.
10: Yeah, absolutely would, Mike. And uh, appreciate you having me on this morning. It uh, this is a big deal. This is a, a bill that we've been working hard on uh, to try to get introduced here in into into Congress and um, get some conversation about. I think in general, this is uh, something that we should all be excited from a from an ethanol standpoint that uh, that points to uh, you know higher uh, higher blends of ethanol at the pump. Um, but but also you know that uh, that incremental grind that we need when we've got uh, uh, production levels that they are and, um, but moving us you know to, to be able to take advantage of higher octane fuels and that's uh, at the end of the day what this thing is all about and uh, and it's a good move for for the fuels market it's a good move for air quality and definitely a good move for farmers as well
0: yeah higher octane lower greenhouse gas emissions that's what ethanol provides so uh, this would be a big boost now what are you hearing as far as the chances of getting this this bill's been introduced, now you gotta get it passed?
10: Yeah, so I mean this year obviously with the uh the, the all the challenges that Congress has had in D C and being out and uh out of uh, of sorts, I guess if you'd say, with uh coronavirus issues and things like that throughout the entire year. Um we're glad to have this thing introduced this year at uh, towards the towards the tail end of it, but really gives us the chance then over the next few months, uh um and through the election to, to really be talking about this thing and, and uh um you know garnering support for this thing to move into the next uh, next year so um yeah the, the chances of it passing here in the next couple of months are, are basically slim to none but it's really about um making sure this conversation is getting started and, and we can uh get excited about this thing moving into next year and and uh uh man we're going to have to have a lot of support for this thing cuz this is a big change in the fuel supply chain but uh uh again farmers uh you know this is a good thing for all of us out there and i think uh uh you know it's it's incremental gains it could be up to 5 billion gallons more of ethanol in the in the marketplace uh translating to about 1.8 billion bushels of corn uh demand that uh you know that, that we could be increasing with this and those are big things for us um you know, I think uh, I think in general um, we can we can look forward to you know to to just more demand uh, uh, for our products, and that's what we need out here right now. It'd be a
0: major step, so it's going to take time. It's going to take a lot of work. Uh, in some ways, I think it it it's kind of like the next step from the RFS, right? RFS was key. This could be the next step.
10: It, it really is. This is building upon uh, you know those building blocks that are there sure. and. And uh, obviously, an extremely successful policy from there. But uh, you know, we know what we've done with corn yields and, and corn grind, and and, uh, and we also know the benefits of ethanol. And 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 if you just look at that alone, uh, the benefits of ethanol, um, you know, from again, from an air quality standpoint, from a a low carbon fuel, and that's what uh, obviously the the House of representatives, uh, uh, you know, that's something that they really, really um, key in on is is carbon policy. Uh, so when we talk about this thing, and, and especially in the house, that's, the, uh, that's one of the key factors for this thing. But it's all about high octane, too, and, and octane is something that uh, makes those motors run well and, and uh, really brings us to a new level of efficiency in, uh, in, in engine technology. And I think um, if we can get there and we can uh, push this bill across the finish line and, you know, in the next Congress, Uh, know, it would definitely be another really, really big step in in, uh, fuel usage and and fuel technology for us. And uh, just a great step overall, I think, from not just ag policy, but but overall uh, air quality policy in the U.S.
0: Kevin, next week you wrap up your year as president of National Corn Growers. What a busy year it has been. What are some things that stand out in your mind about uh, what you've been able to accomplish this past year?
10: Well, I think, you know, this is a, this is a big one off the list here, Mike. We've been working on this thing for quite a while. And, and again, I wish there was a, uh, I wish I could say there was a, a you know, a, a great chance of getting this thing through, uh, snuck through theme this year. But, but in all likelihood, this thing is going to take work. And so that's, uh, uh, it's one of the things I thought we'd be doing all year long, uh, getting this thing introduced earlier this year. But, uh, you know, obviously so many things have happened since the beginning of the year. And, um, you know, as I look back at it though, uh, uh lots of different things that 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 went on um lots of issues with trade that we you know we're dealing with and uh got through to a good point with most of those trade deals uh still work to be done there for sure um those are never ending ending things when it comes to dealing with foreign countries and and uh how we you know how we trade across uh uh across the water and um and across the borders but uh but i'd say you uh, you know some other things uh, just having a chance to to um uh, highlight the SRE issue over the last couple of years and make sure we're working on that we continue to work on that Uh think we're making progress absolutely but uh, uh, but that's been one that uh, you know we've definitely been been very vocal about and continue to make sure that the administration knows uh, uh, knows our thoughts on that um, and then you just take a look at all the coronavirus issues that, uh, that have happened with uh, you know dealing with our markets and uh, not just us but also animal agriculture markets too and so um our partners that that we work with so closely a lot of people have have uh, suffered damages in these things and and uh, we've worked closely with the federal government to um to try to keep farmers as whole as we can and and uh do our best to get programs out there that make sense for the grower um so it's been an interesting year mike let me tell you that that uh um it's it's been a, a challenge but uh certainly a welcome one and and uh just hope uh you know uh Walk away knowing that uh, I did my best and hopefully, uh, uh, you know, we benefited farmers along the way. And uh, John Linder's going to step in uh, in good hands, too.
0: Well, Kevin, you've done a great job speaking on behalf of corn growers and for agriculture. Really enjoyed working with you. Wish you the best and we'll stay in touch. Thanks a lot.
10: Absolutely. Appreciate it, Mike.
0: Kevin Ross, outgoing president of the National Corn Growers. That wraps it up for today and for the week. Have a great weekend, a safe weekend. Be sure to join us again Monday right here on AOA.